Paul's introduction to Rome. He was writing, telling uh, the Romans, this is uh, who I am and my qualifications, and now I'm going to write you a letter, but I, I wanted you to know. Now, do you really think they, there was a question as to who Paul was? Everyone knew who Paul was. It, it had gone out throughout the whole world what Paul was doing and, and who he was, but this was early on. Here's something to remember as we read Romans, it was early on in Paul's ministry that he wrote this in that when he wrote it, he still believed that he was going to be raptured. You see, in Thessalonians, he wrote that we who are together and are caught up, um, then we will meet him in the air, and with all those that went before, those who were dead saints, went before, and then we who are alive will be caught up. He called himself, he said we. So he believed at that point that Jesus could return at any minute. Now that's important for us to remember because as we read the whole book, Paul is writing this from the perspective that Jesus can return at any moment. Why is that important to us? Because Jesus can return at any moment. Uh, so we don't know. Uh, some people say, no, no, it's, it's going to be a long ways away. And some say, well, due to what prophecy says what the Old Testament, New Testament prophecy, it could be any time. And so that's another time to talk about those things. Here's the most important thing. If you die today, what's your relationship like with Jesus? Are you ready to go meet him? That's the most important thing. Not whether or not he's going to return today. I'd like it. But there are no clouds. He's coming in the clouds. So we have to wait for a cloudy day, and then it'll be more likely. Okay, I, I'm just making stuff up now. So uh, today, as we uh, open this study, the title of the study is The Power of the Gospel. Paul is going to set the foundation of the gospel. And, and that's important for us as believers, as Christians, because the gospel is the foundation of our faith. What we believe about Jesus is the foundation of our faith. When we go and stand before the throne, there isn't going to be any questions on, well, what did you do with the doctrine of this and the doctrine of that? It, there isn't going to be any questions like that. It, it's going to be, what did you do with my son Jesus? That's going to be the question. What did you do with him? What did you do with his teachings? Did they apply to your life? Did you take them as your own? Did you invite him to be the Lord of your life? That's going to be the most important question that we answer. And so Paul now, we pick this up in uh, verse 8, where Paul is now starting the text of, um, uh, of this letter to uh, the Romans. And he says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. So 
Here he is. He's giving thanks to the Romans. No. He said, I thank God for you that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world because without God, their faith wouldn't have been spoken of. And faith is the act of God, the work of God in our lives. And so when we have faith, it's worked out by how we live, how we talk, what we believe. And that's what Paul is getting to immediately. He's saying, you have faith. And not only do you have faith, God has given you faith and it's talked about everywhere. How would Paul know that? Because he's been everywhere. He's been all over the place. He knows what's going on in all of these other locations. So when he says, hey, your faith is talked about, well, that's because he heard about it. Remember Aquila and Priscilla? They were from Rome. They got cast out of Rome because Caesar said, get out. I want all the Jews out of Rome. And so they cast them out, and he ran into them in Corinth. And they were tent makers, remember, and he joined with them as tent makers. And then they worked together and they ministered together. And and so they built this relationship. So he had information about what was going on in Rome because he learned it from them who had been in Rome, who had seen the church. We don't know who planted the church in Rome. We know the churches that were planted by Paul where he went to different locations and planted different churches, churches all through Galatia and and in Thessalonica. Ephesians were planted. Ephesus was planted uh, by, and then Timothy was put in place. Okay, you're going to be the first pastor up here. And so Paul had gone around planting all these churches. Rome, he had no, no business with. He had never been there, and he didn't send anyone there. None of the apostles had been to Rome. And so Rome was just the, this, um, you know, uh, it was organic. It was the fact that, you know, that word is very popular now when it comes to churches that are growing on their own and stuff. It, it, they talk about it as being organic. And, and that's what it was. It was very organic in that it just grew because it had the right foundation. It, it, it was healthy because it had the right gospel. And that's how that church started and began to grow. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing, I make mention of you always in my prayers. And so he wants to let them know, look, You've been covered with prayer. Not only that, but um, I know that it's been effective. Who's the witness? Timothy, Silas, Barnabas. Who are the witnesses? Paul said, God is my witness. Why? Why didn't he say, oh, and me and the boys are praying for you? Because Paul was praying for the Roman church in his closet. I don't know that he had a closet, but we call it the prayer closet. We, we call it in private. You see, Paul was a tent maker, and he also traveled a lot. And he didn't have 
an MP3 player so he can listen to podcasts. So what did he do during that time as he traveled? He prayed. And, you know, he may have been praying out loud, uh, but there was probably no one with him many of the times that he was traveling, and he would just pray. See, the Lord hears our prayers whether or not they're audible. You know, if, if you walk here in Fountain Hills, you can walk and, and pray and, and uh, no one will think twice about it because most people are hard of hearing and they won't hear you anyway. So, um, you know, I, I know I am. I can't hear a thing, you know. And, and so uh, you can go ahead and walk around and pray or you can pray in your mind. You can be in the quiet place and pray. And here's the thing. He was praying for them without ceasing. And that is something that we can, you know, consider for ourselves. We can apprehend that and take it into our own lives. We can practice that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. Uh, no, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. Um, Paul says, rejoice always. Rejoice always. Man, that's tough. Rejoicing always, especially when, if you watch the news, there's not a lot of rejoicing going on. Uh, it, it just puts a burden, doesn't it? Uh, when you watch the news, doesn't it seem like, oh my goodness, God, why are you allowing this to happen? Rejoice always because regardless of what's going on on the TV or in your own lives, God's still there. He is still going to carry out his plan. So there's nothing that's going to stop God from accomplishing his purposes. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Jesus told Peter, this is my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So we can remember that every time things start going wrong. We are the church. The church isn't the building. We are the church, the body of Christ. And so the gates of hell won't prevail against what God is doing in our lives. And so Paul knows that. He practices that. And, you know, he didn't know from day one to day two what he was going to be doing because he was being led by the Holy Spirit. Remember when he wanted to go up to Asia and he was like wanting to go up there and he said the Holy Spirit said no. Holy Spirit didn't want us to go up there. He prevented us from going up there. Then the next thing you know, he gets a dream about going to Macedonia. I saw a, a, a man from Macedonia saying, please come here. And he went there. And that's where the Holy Spirit wanted him to go. And he went there and then accomplished the purposes. He eventually did go to Asia. That's where Ephesus was and, and is. It's up there in that region. But that wasn't the time. God had other plans. And so he led him to where he wanted him to be uh, through the Holy Spirit. So here he's praying. So we rejoice always. And then verse 17, pray without ceasing. That's something that we should apprehend. Pray without ceasing. And that doesn't mean that we have to be in constant prayer every moment of the day. But when we have those moments 
where we find ourselves absent of thought, uh, that's a good time to pray. When I'm looking for where I put my glasses again, a good time to pray. You know what? Lord's going to help me find my glasses again. You know, my phone again. You know, and, and he does help me. But I pray about everything now because I seem to be um, losing my mind um, about the things that uh, are going on around me. And I'm like, Lord, what is this? What's happening right now? And I pray about things. And even if I don't get a solution or an answer, I'm comforted. I feel like, okay, it doesn't matter. What, what you're praying about right now isn't important right now. Don't worry about that. Let's just move on. I'll show you what's important next. And so praying without ceasing is really good. And then the next verse says, give thanks in all things for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. That's the will of God for us. Uh, he, he didn't um, make that up. It's the will of God, and it was for Paul, and it's for us. And so when we take those things rejoicing, praying, and giving thanks, we're doing the will of God in our lives. So whenever you question, what is the will of God? I don't know what the will of God is. Start there, and then he'll work out the other details. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I may mention of you always in my prayers, make, making request, if by some means, now at last, I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. And so now he's praying for the will of God to go and talk to the Romans. He is praying that it's the will of God because that's the only way that he's going to be able to get there because he's walking in the will of God. He's following the will of God. So a lot of times we make plans I talk with the board members and the guys, the leaders in the church, and we make plans. We say, oh, you know, I'd like to do this, I'd like to do that, and, and uh, you know, well, let's pray about this, and, and we come up with plans, but they may not be God's plans. He may have different plans. And so sometimes the plans are put off for months, years, and then he accomplishes his will, his purpose, when, we're, when the timing is right. And so um, a lot of times I don't mention the things that are going through my mind because then people will say, well, how come we're not doing that now? You know, how come we're, we're not doing what you said that we were going to plan? Well, because right now I just don't see that the Lord is leading us to do that. And that's why we have bulletins. These are the things that the Lord confirmed. Okay, so usually they have to do with food, um, but hey, we got to eat. So Paul wanted to go see the Romans for I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift so that you may be established. Paul knew what his spiritual gift was. His spiritual gift was evangelism. And teaching. We remember where Paul came from. You know, Paul came from uh, the pharisaical, uh, pharisaical t- 
teaching, from uh, being a Pharisee, being one of the Sanhedrin, one of the 70 rulers of the Jewish nation. And that's where he came from. From his youth, he was raised in the law. And so he knew the letter of the law clearly. And so as, you know, learning all of this and applying it, he applied it so well that any time there was blasphemy, he would put it to an end. What kind of blasphemy? Well, the kind that Christians were doing in his eyes. He thought that the Christians were blaspheming God because they were saying that Jesus is the Messiah. And so he said, we can't have any of that. They're liars. And so I've got to put them to death. And that's what he was doing. He was having them arrested and having them put to death. This is the guy that God said, hey, I want him on my team. Uh, you know, we wouldn't have said that. We would have been out there with slingshots trying to get rid of him. But instead, God said, no, I'm going to use him. And I'm going to take... So on the road to Damascus, he meets Jesus. And his life changes forever. Because he realizes everything he believed in the past is wrong. And he had to have an attitude adjustment about how he lived his life. Have you got to that point yet? Have you got to the point where what you believe doesn't matter? Only the truth matters? That's important for all of us. We all have to get to that point. And sometimes we have to revisit that point. Because we start to make it about us again. I, I get in discussions with some people online um, about the things that they believe uh, about the Bible. And they, they're vicious about what they believe. And how I am so wrong in what I believe because it doesn't line up with what they believe. And, you know, I pray for them because I can't go smack them. Uh, you know, so I, that's the most I can do. They live too far away. So, so I have to pray for them um, because smacking them probably wouldn't help. And, and so, but I realize that that's, they've taken the Bible, the Word of God, the Scriptures, and they've applied it to their way of thinking. They have justified whatever they believed using Scripture, whether or not it's true. It doesn't matter. This is what I believe. This is why I believe it. And now everyone else is wrong. And that's a dangerous place to be for any of us. Because we haven't, do you know why we are so um, blessed to live in the days that we live in? It's because the Bible is alive and it's becoming more and more real to us today than it was a thousand years ago, even 500 years ago. Israel wasn't a nation. 
The Jews were scattered everywhere. We didn't have a full understanding of scripture. When Daniel wrote his prophecies, the angel told Daniel, now seal this up. It's not going to be understood until the last days. And that's when it's going to be real. That's when it'll be opened up. And that's when we're going to understand what it means. The last days weren't 500 years ago. Although we can argue that the last days began when Jesus resurrected from the dead. And that, you know, initiated the last days. But so much had to happen to get us up to this point where now we can say we're the generation living in the last days. Now, you may not believe that. That's okay. Uh, you you know, if you're not pre-trib, I, I believe in a pre-trib rapture, okay? If you don't, if you believe in a mid-trib rapture, that's when you're going to get raptured. Um, so... <laughs> not real that, that's that would be false okay you see we're going to be raptured whenever Jesus wants us to be whenever the time is right that's when we're going okay so we have to be prepared regardless of what we believe personally about it. we just have to be prepared prepared because the rapture may happen when I hit another car on the street and I'm dead you know now what happens well you know, um, are to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so for me, that's when it happened. And so we always have to be prepared, but I look at all of the context of Scripture, just like what Paul is writing to the Romans about. He's going to get in some deep subjects with them. He's going to talk about things that are probably going to shake them. They live in Rome. What was going on in Rome at the time? Rome at that time was like Las Vegas. They lived a life of sin and they celebrated it. Um, having homosexual relationships were made legal even between an adult male and a child male. That was done during this time that Paul was writing this letter. Uh, There are many other disgusting things I can talk about, but it's not important. What we just need to recognize is that Rome was in a state of debauchery. They were going downhill fast. They had lost their moral compass But that doesn't mean that God was not still drawing people in. He was not leading people to the truth. He was. He was leading people into a relationship with Jesus, even in this sinful city. So no matter where we are in the United States, we can find the same sin everywhere. It's all over the place. But there are pockets Even in Vegas, there are pockets of churches that are solid, Bible-believing, Bible-teaching churches that are sharing the gospel. And there are people getting saved on a regular basis because they're caught up in the sin and they're empty. They're not satisfied by living in a life of sin. They're destitute. They're empty. They may have riches, but 
If you're not rich spiritually, it's what good is it? And so they're being drawn in by the good news, and we're seeing that happen all over the place. It doesn't take an Ashbury revival, uh, an outpouring, to to make the difference. It, It takes a heart that's prepared to listen to God that makes a difference. And that begins in the church, not outside the church. Revival doesn't happen when a bunch of people instantaneously become saved because uh, they all of a sudden realize they need God. That's not when it happens. It happens when the church realizes what our role is to reach those people that don't know the Lord and then share the good news with them. That's what Paul's saying. Hey, I'm going to come. I want to share my spiritual gifts with you is what Paul is saying. I have spiritual gifts. I'm going to pour them out. All of us have spiritual gifts. You see what he says next is that is that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith both of you and me. We have the same faith. And so we can mutually share our faith, our gifts with each other, which will strengthen each other. So I don't know what your gifts are, uh, all of you. I know some of you. I know what some of your gifts are. And I, I am blessed when I see those gifts put into action as we minister to each other, as we serve each other. We're doing that together because we're being used by God to do that. That's what, how God does it. It's not us that's accomplishing these things. It's how God does these things. Verse 13, now I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. And so Paul is telling the Romans, I meant to come here. I wanted to come here. It wasn't God's will yet. I want to bear some fruit here. Paul wanted to be fertilizer. He wanted to go to Rome and then minister to the flock at Rome and then being able to produce fruit. Well, that's what fertilizer does. It it, it gets into the soil and then it grows fruit and produces fruit. How do we produce fruit? Well, you know, here... In, uh, in a community where we have fruit trees and so on and so forth, uh, some of us are successful at growing fruit. Some of us have plastic plants and, um, because, you know, that's not our gift. You know, but all of us have the ability to minister to others that are in need of the good news. Now, sometimes... We tell people what we believe. Sometimes we show people what we believe. You know, see, and Paul was demonstrating what he believed by how he lived. You see, Paul had the right to go into town, go into the church and say, okay, I need this much, you know, to keep the ministry going. I need, you know, to be able to be provided for. I've got these guys with me. They need help. We need a place to stay. We need all of this. Paul could have done that. Instead, everywhere he went, he worked. 
as a tent maker so that he would, you know, sell his products. And then the money that he received, he took care of the people around him that were in ministry with him. And he took care of his own needs at the same time. That's what Paul did. He, you know, thought that's the way that God led him to do this. It was, he didn't say everyone has to do this. He said, that's me. Okay, but you other guys, this is how you're supposed to do this. So he was setting an example by being that way, by going into these places, by not being a burden on the church so that they can enjoy the fruit of his ministry. And so when they saw that, they said, oh, well, look at this. He's living the example. He's setting the example for them. And they were blessed by that. It it produced fruit in the churches that he went to. And here he's saying that he was hindered until now to being able to write to them and come to them. He went to all the other Gentile nations. Remember, Rome was Gentile. The Jews had been cast out of Rome, but they were allowed back in. And so now there were some Jews that were involved in the Gentile church uh, that was going on. We'll find out in chapter 16 when we read about the fact that Aquila and Priscilla are back in Rome. They're back in the church there, helping the church out in Rome. There were a bunch of other people in chapter 16 that Paul addresses, letting them know, hey, thanks for being there. Thanks for doing this. And uh, you guys continue uh, on your way doing that. In verse 14, he writes, I am a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to unwise. So who here is a barbarian? Good, good. One person raised their hand. Okay, there's another barbarian back there. Okay, most of us are barbarians. Here's why. A Greek was someone that was Greek, or they spoke Greek. If you didn't speak Greek or you weren't Greek, you were a barbarian. Barbarian is a word that we kind of polluted and and turned it into a bad thing. But then all it meant was Gentiles that were non-Greek and non-Greek speaking. So it wasn't really a, a derogatory term. You know, Paul didn't just, you know, diss a bunch of people. He, he was just sharing about the different groups of people. So you have Jews, you have Gentiles. Well, the Gentiles are broken down into Greeks and non-Greeks. And so that's where we were. They were the barbarians, the non-Greeks. And so he's saying he's the debtor to both of them, both to the wise and the stupid. Well, he said unwise. He didn't say, you know. And, and so the funny thing is in our society today that we really elevate educated people to a high level. Now, if you have an education, beautiful. God let you have that education, gave you that education, blessed you with the knowledge that you have and the wisdom that you get. I have been blessed. I've been to college. I've been to Bible college. I've, I gained so much information from the different places that I've been through my experience in the military and so on and so forth that I consider myself wise in many things that are unimportant for the rest of the world. (laughs) 
you know, how many of you need a hovercraft navigator? I'm ready. Let's go out. And, you know, I, you know, there, there's certain things that um, my knowledge and wisdom uh, just don't apply. But uh, the things that I strive to become knowledgeable in or more knowledgeable is in the word of God. That's the most important thing to me now. See, when I, I was growing up, when I was getting my, my uh, education in the military and so on and so forth, I, I, I thought that I was going in the right direction, but it really was focused on me and the world. And now I look and I say, well, what an empty, I'm going to spend eternity in heaven with the Lord. I, I want to learn the songs that they sing up there, right? So when I get there, I can sing the song. I, I want to learn how to ride a horse. We're going to be riding a horse, coming back with the Lord. Uh, I'm not going to ride a horse. Um, I'll be on the horse coming back. He'll have to teach me. So I'll have some time to learn. Uh, when we come back, we'll have seven years uh, to to practice horseback riding. Being wise doesn't mean wise in the world, but that's what Paul was referring to. The wise and the unwise, he was referring to people that were wise in the world and unwise in the world. Greeks and barbarians, these people that were supposedly smart or supposedly unwise. Well, you know, God chose the unwise, the foolish of this world, to bring to nothing the wise of this world. And we're seeing that happen even now. If you watch what's going on with the wise people in Davos that are there solving all the problems of the world, are you convinced that we can turn things around? How many thousands of years have we had the opportunity to turn things around? And how, how far have we got on that? You know? Oh, Global warming, we're all going to be dead in three years. Um, you know, no, I think, um, I think, um, what's her name? Thor, um, Thornburg, uh, you know. Yeah, yeah, that, that girl. She was 16 at the time when she declared we have six years of life left on the earth. Uh, that, was, that was seven years ago. So, uh, you know, as we look, and, and I'm not mocking her, she is a product of her environment, of how she was raised, of what she was taught to believe. That's what the world is seeing now. We're, we're, we're in a drought. We are going to be, all of our reservoirs are full now. California's reservoirs are overflowing. They're over 110%, all of them. Now, they have to worry about flooding. Uh, you know, how do we even, this is almost comical about how we think that we have so much control over our environment. This is up to God. Here's the control that we have. Lord, we need rain. Let's pray for rain. You know, Lord, we, we you know, we need food. You know, that's how they used to grow food. Before irrigation was popular, Lord, we need rain for our crops so that they would grow. And guess what? They grew. God took care of all of that. He had a plan. 
that plan hasn't subsided. It's still God's plan. All we have to do is just be aware of what he's doing. Here's how you ruin the plan. We're going to do it our way. And that's what we've been doing. Not just the United States. We put people on pedestals as if they're going to solve the world's problems. There's only one person that's going to solve the world's problem. He's coming back and he's going to solve it all. And every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is Lord. And that's going to solve the problems. Uh, But until then, we get to live in this mess. That's what Paul is, he's writing to Romans, but he's writing to us because we're living in the same times because he thought Jesus was going to return then. And so he was writing a letter to them so that they can be prepared for his return. That's the letter we're studying. That's the good news for us is that now we can apply this very thing to our lives. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. He, he's ready to preach to Rome. He wants to go there and he wants to preach to them because they need to hear the good news. And we continue to live in the good news. The good news is what keeps us looking forward. As soon as we start paying attention to the bad news and we give bad news priority in our lives, then we lose sight of the good news. When Peter was on the water walking, he was okay. As long as he was keeping his eyes on Jesus, he was okay. But then he said, oh, look at the water, look at the waves. What am I doing out here? This is stupid. I shouldn't be out here. This is impossible. And as soon as he took his eyes off of Jesus, he started to sink. Lord, help me. And the next thing you know, Jesus pulled him up, put him in the boat. Jesus didn't let him sink. Said, oh, suffer your consequences, man. You shouldn't have looked at the water. Right? We sometimes feel that way. We get overwhelmed by the events that are taking place in the world and the events that are taking place personally in our lives. We get caught up in, you know, I'm in trouble. I'm not going to make it through this. You've already made it through. By accepting Jesus Christ into your life, you've already written the end of the story. You see, we aren't saved when we leave this earth and go to heaven. We're saved the moment we accept Jesus Christ into our lives. Eternity begins at that moment. And so now we're living in eternity. It just, this is the stinky part of eternity. (laughs) Eternity is going to get much better. But while we're here doing this, we're called to be like Paul. Go and just share the good news. Use the word of God. Not that you have to preach the word of God all the time. Just live it. Applying the word of God to our lives then shows people that you can really live by the word of God. 
that you can bear fruit by the word of God, that there's hope beyond what you're told in the news. And so now we have an ability to share this joy, share this peace. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all things, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Doing those things is going to help us get through to the point where either he returns for us or we go to see him. And that day can be very close. Amen?